Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David and as always I am joined by the reflective Matt. Hello there. Well then Matt, um, week off for you this week, no Doctor Who to watch. Mm. How was that for you? I mean, it's only an hour of my life. It didn't make too great a difference. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, because, like, I mean, obviously, normally the TV highlight of your week is whatever episode of Doctor Who we're discussing. So, what, um, in the absence of Doctor Who, what what, what, uh, what was your highlight this week? Uh, in terms of TV? Yeah. Um, I started watching WandaVision. Oh, I can't wait to get into that. Um, it, the first two episodes are okay, but it hints at something bigger coming. Mm. Like, that's what's hooked me in. Yeah. I mean, well, that's what you want, really, from the first couple of episodes, isn't it? You don't yeah. You don't want to, like, uh, you know, fire all your best shots in episode one. I can't really so. remember. I don't, I don't tend to watch a lot of television. I tend to either watch, like, YouTube videos mm. or, well, say, for example, this week, um, during lockdown... To keep my sort of self sane. Mm-hmm. In the first lockdown, I started painting Warhammer 40,000 miniatures. Yeah. And I started off with none and basically lost my mind and painted 3,000 points worth. Which <laughs> which is more money than I like to think about. Um, mm-hmm. And So this time around, instead of painting hundreds of tiny models, I painted one giant model, which is... Yeah. An orc maw crusher, if anyone knows what that is. It's basically an orc riding a massive dragon. Uh, so I've mainly been just watching tutorials on how to paint that well. Oh, fair enough. Uh, how's, and how's progress going on that? Uh, I, I have finished it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty happy with it. I think it's Excellent. tabletop worthy. Obviously, the main problem is I've got no one to play with. Yeah, that's the downside with these things. Yeah. I'm... I'm having a similar issue with... Um, I, I'm still buying Keyforge decks. Mm. Why am I buying Keyforge decks when I've got no one to play Keyforge with right now? Who yeah. knows? But, yeah. um, well, yeah, I'll tell you what I have been doing this week. This is mm-hmm. all part of the new year... Sorry, new year, new me emphasis. Yep. I've been playing a lot of games online with enemy of the show, Tim Riley. Oh, Who's fantastic. actually become quite a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so yeah, if any right. if anyone wants to send me some free Warhammer, just uh, DM us on Twitter. Hmm. Beer as well, cheese, um, cash. Just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just let us know. Yeah. Well, since you didn't ask, um, my TV highlight this week was last night. Um, just for a change, I watched a bit of Doctor Who. <laughs> Oh, really? What did you watch? Yeah, uh, I watched the first couple of parts of The Rebus Operation, which is a um, the first story in uh, season 16, I believe. Uh, Tom, uh, Sort of mid-period Tom Baker. Uh, it's, the, it's the episode that introduces Romana. Okay. That's a name I know. And, yeah, and it's um, I'm probably just going to, in my spare time, just watch through that series again, because it's been a long time. And uh, unlike most classic Doctor Who there is actually a series arc it's not a complicated series arc it's basically a fetch quest it might as well be like a like an early Japanese RPG or something it's called the key to time and he's literally just every planet he lands on he's trying to find this piece of the key to time um but 
it it does kind of give it a nice flow as a series and i do remember i've only watched it the once really enjoyed it at the time so i'm quite looking forward to maybe just pecking away at that over the coming let's be honest months what what's been your (laughs) non-television highlight of the week so non-tv related it probably would have been yesterday uh got my covid vaccination oh well done yeah i mean uh I don't want to, I'm not trying to rub it in on anyone, uh, to anyone, but, you know, NHS stuff. So uh, I, I I was kind of slightly ahead of the queue and some people. Yeah. And if the offer's there, I'm going to take it. Did you come out and scream, I have the power like He-Man? Uh, no, maybe I should have. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I just sat quietly and read my book for 10 minutes because they don't let you go for 10 minutes in case uh, they have a bad reaction. I don't know. So, I don't know what I... In fact, when I get mine, I'm going to be like Rorschach from Watchmen. When it, I, I'm going to be like, the world looks up and screams, help us, and I'll look down and whisper, no. <laughs> well, my non-TV highlight of the week. Yeah. You know how before Christmas we were uh, big in Singapore? We were, yeah. What if I told you we are now a celebrity-endorsed podcast? Woo, are we? Yeah. Who, which celebrity? Uh, well... This week, I noticed a particular favourite celebrity of mine had put out on Twitter that uh, he'd got his food delivered from Morrison's, obviously my favourite supermarket. So I I put a message out just saying, you know, just when you thought this guy couldn't be more of a legend, it turns out he loves Morrison's as much as we do. And he liked that tweet, so I'm taking that as a celebrity endorsement. Okay. So a celebrity? Our celebrity is none other than Mr. Paul Chuckle. Oh, you only got and got Paul Chuckle yeah. on board. We couldn't, couldn't have asked, yeah. but, you know, I think we've discussed a love of Chuckle Vision on the pod. Yeah. We've just joined the big leads, Matt. This is serious. Yeah. And I'm pretty certain the Chuckle Brothers did a Doctor Who parody called something like Doctor What or Doctor Why. Yeah. I'm, I, I'd be amazed if they didn't. That show ran for a long time. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, we are celebrity endorsed by Paul Chuckle of the Chuckle Brothers. Oh, that's that's wonderful news. Thank you, Matt. For next week, um, I might even pay to go on cameo and get him to like do a little talk. Because <laughs> whilst he endorses us, I assume I still have to pay for him to endorse us. I expect so. Do you think he's on cameo? He is. It's about thirty-seven pounds. I checked this morning. Yeah, seems reasonable. <laughs> Cameo is such a strange thing. Yeah. We we are in strange times. I mean, I, I wonder, I think possibly lockdown has really helped that that business as a, as a model because, like, otherwise you'd think most of these people would have better things to do with their time. Yeah. But, but you know, similarly to how uh, Big Finish have basically just got... Um, David Tennant chained to a microphone and won't let him leave. Yeah. It's like, they've got nothing else to be doing. They might as well. <laughs> you know, likewise, if people want us to do little cameo shout outs, just contact us in our DMs and we'll send you our banking details. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a full price list. Yeah. Um, so, so, go on then. Sh- should we move into food highlights of the week? I think we probably better. It, it's the new feature that's taking over the world. Um, so I'm going to preempt this by saying obviously this is our end of series spectacular yeah 
So I have a little something I mean, special. Spectacular might be overselling it, but if, if you've got something special, I'm keen to hear it. Okay, so first and foremost, as always, what have you had for breakfast this morning? Oh, well, there's, there's a story. And I promise my, my other answer for, for best food of the week, that will be brief. But um, I woke up this morning. We Recently, my partner and I, we've been doing, on the weekends, um, doing like... Uh, lions for each other as like a favor so one of us just one day a week doesn't have to get up at you know crack of dawn when when uh little absorbaloff pings awake um and so it was my turn for lion this morning and just having that ad- that additional run up to breakfast i was just like you know what for whatever reason i more than anything else I want a fried tomato, but if you can't, you can't just fry a tomato and leave it at that. Mm-hmm. You've got to do yourself at least a partial English, if not a full English. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll do like a half English. I'll just, I'll do a, so- I'll do a little one sausage. I'll do uh, a fried egg, piece of toast, fry- half a fried tomato, and we'll be done. Um, and so I get down, I start making my um, half English. I crack the egg. It's a double yoker. Oh, bonus! And so I'm like, I don't. I'm, I'm not. Sure, you know, we're 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 getting out of the realms of the half English already here. And then I go to the freezer, get my sausages. I've got two sausages like fused together. They you know frozen together. So I'm like, well, I'm going to have to defrost both of them. So I might as well cook both of them. Um, so you know, we're all up to du- double yoker, double sausage. I chop the tomato. I'm like, oh, I'll just do the whole tomato. Who who wants half a tomato lying around? And by the time I've done that, like, well, might as well do an extra slice of toast as well. So I, I ended up basically doing a full English. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, that was my breakfast. How was yours? Uh, I just had my mic on toast. Oh, it's like role reversal today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so I think that leads us nicely into meal of the week. Yeah. Have you got a story attached to yours? Or is uh, it... Sort of, yeah. Um, Go on. The day before yesterday, I was talking to... I always put a message out on Friday to say, you know, what's everyone having for tea? And one of our listeners, Kimberly, was saying that she was having a nice pie for tea. Mm. So I spent yesterday baking a lovely corned beef, potato and onion pie. Oh, very fancy. Which is one of my all-time favourites. Every year on my birthday, my mum will bake me. A corned beef and potato pie. Yeah. So that's my winner of the week. I will say, one of the few things I miss from not eating meat is corned beef. Yeah. Because there is no vegetarian approximation that you can do. Like, veggie sausages. You, I, I, I will never need to eat an actual meat sausage again in my life because, you know, you can just do, do a perfectly bang-up job with, with a veggie one. But corned beef, there's just nothing like it. No. And um, loads of mushy peas and loads of gravy as well. Good times. Yeah. yeah solid choice. Um, mine similarly pub grubby. And again, on the sausage theme, it's been a double sausage week for me. Toad in the hole. Oh. Yeah. And how was that? Fantastic. Would you say you it know. beats your week one curry to be food <laughs> of the year? Not quite. No. Not quite. So your meal of the year so far is still curry from week one. I'm gonna I, did, say, I did. I did warn you. You know, you, we were starting strong. And I, I'm going to stick with my bolognese parmo from last week. 
Yeah. But that does lead us into our special feature, David. Because it now? last night I put a message out saying if there's any, you know, questions, any thoughts on Series 8, can you let me know? And mm-hmm. unsurprisingly, a lot of them were about what's the meal of the week. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Frank in particular, who gets in touch every now and again, uh, wanted a follow-up. I think when you discussed the curry, you said that would be your death row meal. Mm-hmm. So he asked what mine was. So what I'm going to do is, during lockdown, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, uh, and one in particular that I won't name features, mm-hmm. well, it, I will, it's Off Menu with James A. Caster and Ed Gamble. I keep meaning to check that out. I hear good things. So, I, I like I like both of those hosts. So Obviously, we're not going to directly steal their idea, yeah. uh, like we did with the Wheelie Big Quiz mm. and Married to Who. Uh, but we are going to do their exact format. So, David, <laughs> okay, so it's not off menu. I'm going to call this uh, what's on the menu. Mm-hmm. So, David, welcome to the restaurant. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take your coat and seat you down. And the first thing I'm going to ask you is, if I'm giving some water for the table, would you like still or sparkling? Oh, still. Okay. Mineral tap, are you fussed? Not bothered, to be honest. No. I always think, like, I, I never want the water, so tap for me, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Sparkling water's only good if you've got a hangover. Yeah. I've, oh. ne- I've never seen the appeal. Okay. Now, usually on off-menu, James Acaster screams, poppadoms or bread, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so, uh, David, poppadoms or bread? Um, well, given that we can probably predict what most of my answers for this are going to be, so I'm obviously poppadoms. Yeah, I'm going poppadoms simply because uh, bread is like a component of one of my later courses. Oh, I see. Okay, starter. Um, mm, you see, because this is an opportunity it, it, to... It doesn't have to go wild. with your main, it can be anything you want. Mm. I don't really have a go-to starter. Unless I'm eating Indian food is the thing. I don't tend to do starters. So, and also it's tricky because when I do have Indian food, I, I vacillate between either the noble onion bhaji or the vegetable samosa. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say, though, I think onion bhaji. Oh, okay. Well, for my start, I... I basically picked my two favourite mains. Uh, right. The like the two mains are basically the two best foods I've ever eaten, mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't pick between them, so I've relegated one to my starter. So yeah. wh- whilst on holiday, whilst in Prague on my brother's stag I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, we went to a Hooters restaurant, right? And Hooters boneless chicken wings are like amazing. And my wife never believes me when I'm say when I say like oh we only went to Hooters because the wings were so good, but they're phenomenal. So for my starter, I've got oh yeah sorry go on you finish. I'm going for Hooters boneless buffalo wings. Um, amazing. Uh, uh, my big question is like how bleak was it as an environment in which to consume those those wings? Uh, well, the thing is like. Prague's quite a rustic old town, so it was yeah. one of the very sort of few modern restaurants. It was all right. It was quite <laughs> nice. There's actually two Hooters in Prague. Uh, 
Because on the first day of the stag, when we agreed to meet, half of us went to one and half went to the other. I just I couldn't I couldn't imagine actually setting foot in one and but like being able to look anyone in the eye because yeah, I would just it, be it's like it's not like a I'm lap just, dancing club. No, I know, but I just feel like it's just such it's you know cause it's it's basically TGI Fridays. It's just got a yeah. rude name. Mm. Fair dues. Okay, David, what are you going for for your main? I think we can all predict this. Vegetable um, boonie. Vegetable booner. Sag paneer. Garlic naan. Garlic naan. Yeah. It's got to be done. Classic. I, I'm going to have the best pizza I've ever had. Now, you see, pizza would be my my alternative to this. Uh, but, but I don't... The thing is, I don't have it nailed down exactly. Like, I, I vary a lot with pizza. The thing so, is, like, pizza's a bit of a comfort food for me. Yeah. Like, you know, if I don't know what I want to have, I'll just have pizza. Yeah. Because I, I think in many ways pizza's a lot like sex. Mm-hmm. Even when it's not that good, it's still pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm going for the best pizza I've ever had, which was on Altona Beach in Australia, near Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And I, I call it a pizza, but it wasn't really. It was like a bread pizza base, and it just had spiced lamb on top of it. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't have really have a sauce, didn't really have cheese. So it's almost akin to a kebab or something. Similar, yeah, but it was mm. like minced lamb. Oh, it was so good. Mm. I'd walk you know back to Australia to get one of those. You know, that, that's just reminded me of something I had at a beer festival a couple of years ago, which was kind of just, you know, because generally, like, food at a beer festival is it's not why anyone's there. And so you've got, like, li- very limited catering options. And I was expecting to, there to be almost nothing as a vegetarian, you know, it's just like, I was basically expecting to, to subsist on crisps for the evening. But they had, um, it was a naan with, uh, like, you know, chicken tikka, like, it, or is it like, or tandoori chicken, you know, when you've got like the red, yeah, dusty like the grill paste. Yeah. They did that, but with great big chunks of halloumi. And then just like a, a lovely like cucumber mint sauce on that. And it was just like a combination of things I just never would have considered before. Oh, I'm feeling um, that. Yeah, man, that was so good. And, and as you say, it's like sort of is just it almost counts as pizza because it's bread and cheese and sauce. But it's you know, it, it's it kind of existed in a world of its own. Uh, and it was so good that I actually recreated it at home a couple of times. Oh, sounds good. What what drink are you having with your meal? Uh, a pint of whatever's local. It's my usual yeah. choice. I've gone for an IPA. You see, I'm not... I'm a bit over IPAs, to be honest. Because uh, after a certain point, they get, especially the, the ones you get now, where it's just like they've gone so insane with the hops that it's just like... <laughs> It tastes like grapefruit. Yeah, that, you get you get to you know, like a nice citrus of, IPA. Uh, it. I won't. I won't turn it down, but I prefer a darker beer. I prefer like a nice amber ale or or, or a ruby or, or something. You know, something with a, a bit bit a bit maltier, a bit more character to it, where it's not just like whacking you in the face with hops and and there's nothing else going on. Say, just as an update for my hundred beers for. This year, 
I'm yeah. up to 15. So oh, that's there's only two, two days this year where I haven't had a new beer. But in that time, I've also drank a full yeah. bottle of scotch. Uh, by contrast, since uh, since starting 2021, I have had zero beer. Are you doing dry January? I'm not. I just haven't bought any. Uh, <laughs> I haven't got round to it yet. I had a lovely gin and tonic last night. My wife made me one. That's uh, uh, quite often. I'll I'll have a beer, and she'll make herself a drink. But last night she offered me a gin and tonic. And I've had it. I've had a gin and tonic. I I, you see, I hate the taste of tonic water. See, I had like I find it so like astringent. I had a really fruity gin, so it overcame mm. like the power of the tonic. Yeah, uh, it was quite nice. It was quite nice. All right, should um, we do dessert then? Final one. Yep. Yeah. What are you having yeah. for pud? I mean, you see, normally I would not be doing pudding after a meal like this. I would be, I would be done. Gee, I always think it's funny in the curry house. They always give a dessert menu. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's like, who's doing this? Like, it's always a penguin with ice cream in it, <laughs> <laughs> or like half a coconut. Yeah, I. You see, you've got. Uh, was it? Is it kulfi? Mm. That sort of like. Uh, a bit like ice cream, but like it's roundly like desiccated coconut and stuff like that. I've I've had that a couple of times. I'm not big on coconut, so it's not really my something I would go to very often. You've got lassi, which is like a yogurty drink thing, like a fruity drink thing which they do, which is very nice. Um, but I'll be honest, if I can just have anything at this point, if I've if I've got room, then pint of Ben and Jerry's. Just stick a tub of that in front of me, and I'm good to go. And I'm not even that asked about the flavour. I mean, my 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 go to is fish food. Yeah, I I really like their cinnamon swirl one, but the only place you seem to be able to get it locally is the cinema. <laughs> yeah, it's not what you see on the shelves so much, is no. it? No. Uh, originally, I wrote Vianetta, but I've crossed that out. Uh, oh, Vianetta's pretty good though, isn't it? Yeah. See, I, especially, I, especially if you go to like full presentation, you get like a whole one as well like stuck a sparkler in it for a touch of class. Yes. See, normally, if if I'm not in the mood for a pudding, I'll just order whatever appears to be the smallest pudding. But I always yeah. get a coffee. Always get a coffee. Do you, I like. I quite like it when restaurants do that thing of like you'll get like a tiny little pudding and a and an espresso. Yeah. Yeah, uh, on the side. That's one of my nice. go-tos is just simply chocolate brownie coffee. But yeah. I, I've gone for lemon meringue made by my mum. Oh. Because... I'm, assu- I'm assuming she nails it then. Yeah, and we only ever yeah. really have them at big celebrations, so, like, yeah. it makes it double special. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, there's a tight 25 minutes on food <laughs> in our Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I think we knew this was going to happen this week. You know, we've got no Doctor Who to talk about per se. So, uh, yeah, shall we crack on with the uh, Alien Arena? Yeah, why not? Why don't we have another diversion before we talk about Doctor Who? I mean, sure. I mean, well, it's Doctor Who related. Do you know what? I put a Twitter poll up yesterday about, and it just said, "Do you like the Decide Your Own Destiny feature?" Yeah, and it's hard to tell in a vacuum, got, isn't it? Yeah, we got two votes. One said yes, one said no. <laughs> so we'll keep we'll keep going till it's a hundred percent no. <laughs> Are you just going to put that poll out every week? 
Yeah, when, when it finally gets to now, yeah. I'll be like, right, it's time to bring out the wheelie big quiz from retirement. <laughs> uh, right, so, Alien Arena yes. is the Decide Your Destiny Doctor Who book. It's book two. Mm. Uh, the plot so far, David has been abducted to fight in a alien gladiatorial contest. Yeah. Uh, likewise, Martha Jones has also been kidnapped. And whilst David was sort of trying to escape, you bumped into the doctor. Yeah. Uh, you immediately lost him. Yeah. And then you met Martha. And the two of you have now beamed into the arena floor. Yeah. And I'm legging okay. it from the oncoming monsters. Yeah. So... Martha is facing against, like, a Spartan warrior, and there is a big, horrible Cyclops monster that's attacking you. And the last thing you decided to do was to run away. Yes. So, here we go. As you retreat, you stumble over a wooden shield on the arena floor. It has been discarded by Martha's opponent, who is using both hands to grapple with her nearby. Despite your evasive efforts, your enemy stalks you doggedly, impossible to shake off. Its single inhuman eye is focused intensely on your every move, as it waits for the ideal moment to attack. It occurs to you that if you could cover this awful eye, you'd stand some chance against the creature. You hastily remove your jacket as the creature bears down upon you. You fling it over its face and dodge away. The monster snarls in frustration and awkwardly sets about tearing away the obstruction to its vision. So, David, do you wish to sprint to the other side of the arena while your enemy can't see, or do you want to take your chance to grab the discarded shield? Um, Shield sounds good to me, actually. Yeah, I'm going to grab the shield. Right. Okay, so that is to 99... You snatch up the battered shield made of thick metal-studded timber, while your opponent angrily attempts to regain its vision. Giving a blood-curdling howl of rage, the creature finally tears your jacket from its face, with its single unblinking eye again able to see. It rounds on you angrily, then unleashes another ferocious attack with its laser-tipped weapon. You somehow manage to block the flurry of violent blows raining down on you with the shield, but its primitive construction is no match for your enemy's high-tech weapon. Its vicious jabs and slashes splinter and scorch the wood. The shield won't stand many more hits before it no longer offers you any protection. So, you can either use the shield to fend off the next attack, or you can throw it as hard as you can at the opponent alien's face and run for it. Latter. Lob it and run. Right, so that's back to 83. Okay. You evade the monstrous the monstrous opponent once again, hey. but it is quick to resume the attack, and you are running out of hope. Suddenly, what looks like a Christmas tree bauble lands at your opponent's feet, much to its bewilderment. An instant later, the bauble explodes, temporarily stunning your enemy. Nice. A second explosion goes off nearby, and you turn to see Martha's opponent also reeling in day's confusion. Quick! Over here, the Doctor is standing beside Jalneth in the mouth of the arena's exit tunnel as you and Martha race to join them. Several of the angry crowd open fire, 
Plasma bursts erupt around you, but you make it to the exit unhurt. The Doctor hurriedly leads you through a sequence of corridors before bursting into a familiar room, the room where you first arrived. The extraction device stands at its centre, its fluid-filled tubes bubbling gently. As Jalneth and Martha jam the door, the Doctor immediately begins operating the extraction device's control console. The solution's simple, really. Mr Big had caused a severe temporal disruption with this device of his. To remedy that situation, all we have to do is use the device to extract him from time, prior to its invention, so it never gets made. Doesn't that make like a paradox? It, it sounds like you're dealing with some <laughs> tricky stuff there, Doctor. You better be confident you're not going to rip a hole in the space-time continuum. It will create a short-term pa- short-time paradox, of course, probably cause Big some memory malfunction, but more importantly... It will release anyone he has extracted, like you, back to your own timeline. It will be like none of this ever happened. Mm. So the Doctor looks up from the console. So, ready to erase all this? You nod. The Doctor flashes you a broad grin, then touches the control screen. The room vanishes in an explosion of light. You are striding along the rain-soaked pavement, heading for school, the beginning of another typical day. Just for once, you wish something unusual would happen. The end. Oh, wow. I mean, a bit of a slight downer ending there. Yeah, you went from, like, fighting a monster to just going to school. Yeah, and having no recollection. Like, that's like Donna's exit. That's quite sad. Yeah. Well, there you go, listeners. Who who knows when you'll have another adventure with the old doctor. Mm. Yeah, maybe rest it for a couple of weeks, eh, Matt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But who knows, maybe next time you'll go to the Dark Planet. Mm. Maybe, maybe you'll visit the Haunted Wagon Train. Oh, I hope so. I'm going to be lobbying hard when we do another one. I'm going to be lobbying hard for that one. Uh, maybe you'll grow a second skin. <laughs> or maybe... Just maybe you'll lose your luggage. <laughs> oh, God. Are we going to have to do that one again? Who knows? Uh... See what the votes. Okay, right. So we'll probably we'll, we'll give that a rest for a few weeks, I think. But uh, yeah. maybe another one later this year. Who knows? See how we feel. Um, okay. I think it's time, Matt. High time, in fact. Let's talk Series 8. How did... Um, before we get, I've got some specific questions to get into, but before we get there, I just kind of want to take your temperature on it as a whole. How did you feel about Series 8? Now it's done and dusted. Um, I think I said it a few weeks ago that, like, the ending will skew my view of this series. Yeah. On the whole, I'd say this is one of the weaker series. Yeah. Like, up until the final few episodes, there wasn't a great deal I enjoyed here. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people have had that experience with this series. Um, and it's fair to say that this is one that lost a lot of the more casual audience. Um, and, and did, I think, damage the show a bit in terms of, you know, there was a, a lot of buzz and hype and highness off the back of Matt Smith's era, you know, kind of exploded in America. Um we had the 50th anniversary 
So it was being promoted quite a lot. There was quite a lot of buzz and excitement. And then when we got into Series 8, you know, you're starting with Deep Breath, which is, the, as we said at the time, the least accessible opener of any series of Doctor Who so far. And you've got probably the least accessible Doctor in that he's a bit of an arsehole and he's quite prickly and he's got quite a strong accent. And, you know, there were a lot of little factors at play which I think makes this just a harder, a, a, a tougher nut to crack as a series, I think, for a lot of people. And I've spoken, like, anecdotally, I've spoken to a lot of people who dropped off around Series 8 quite early on, quite often. Um, yeah, like, it seems to be like a bit of a make-or-break point. I think it is. Um, and if you are already, like, a hardcore fan, I think you were willing to kind of go with it and see where it leads. But the more casual audience weren't prepared to do that. You know, they've got other stuff they could be watching. And I get that. Um, I fa- I had mixed feelings on it when I first watched it, definitely. I wasn't... I wasn't th- I, there were aspects of it that I loved. There was aspects of it I wasn't sure about. Over time and on subsequent watches, my it has just grown and grown in my estimation as a series. I think but, it has very yeah. few genuinely like bad, disappointing episodes. I have good things to say about almost every episode in this series. However, do, sorry, do you think your your view is perhaps skewed though that you know where it ends up and what comes after? That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I yeah. think that's why it, it it grows on rewatches is the fact that I'm able to watch it with an appreciation of where we go from here. Where we go yeah. with Clara's story, where we go with the Twelfth Doctor, because it, it does continue to develop and grow, and and this is this is like one chapter in a bigger story, really. Um, yeah, that's how I felt. So I, it's I, I understand why it's hard coming in for the first time with this particular series. It's hard to get a handle on how you're even supposed to feel about aspects of it. I think. Um, so yeah that that being said i've got i've got some specific questions then um so focusing in on capaldi and his performance how are you finding that i i think he's good but he's been hindered by things around him like mm-hmm. i've said like sort of weakness of direction sure like the the final few episodes where it's really focused i thought he was really really good yeah but, you know, when he's just asking about in Sherwood Forest, not for me. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's fair to say there's like, it can go one of two ways with, with new Doctors. Either they take a few episodes to really bed in or, like, they just hit the ground running episode one, scene one. Like, And we had that with Matt Smith, I think. Like, <clears throat> the moment he pops out of that TARDIS in Little Amelia Pond's garden, like, he's the doctor <laughs> you know there's no and whilst there is development over the course of his run you never really get that sense that like you're that he's having to find his feet mm-hmm. i think there is a bit more of that with capaldi it's similar to say i mean for, if we stick with the new new series i'd say tenant tenant has a wobbly start you know if you think yeah. his first couple of episodes you got christmas invasion then into new earth you know, farting about yeah. in that hospital. 
Um, I don't think Tennant really crystallises and his performance really kind of snaps into place until you get to around um, the Impossible Planet Satan Pit. I think that's a story which really start, most clearly defines what the direction's going to be for his Doctor. And I'd say similarly, you're talking maybe Mummy on the Orient Express for, for Capaldi is where I think it really starts to all come into focus. But see, again, like I, I just didn't gel with that episode. Like, no, I mean, I, I'm talking specifically about his performance within it. Mm. I think that's that's where you get you get the harshness, but you also get you see some of the layers starting to peel away, and you see some of the softness underneath as well. Um, so I, I, for me, that's kind of where it all starts to snap into focus. But again, this is me talking with the benefit of hindsight, having seen his whole run and watched this particular series multiple times. You know, you're you're coming in fresh, and so it's understandable you're going to have a different perspective on it. Um, so my next question is. Uh, and and I'm, uh, yeah. My next question is just, how great is Jenna Coleman when she's actually given stuff to do? Yeah, I, I think I have a bit of a nasty trait of not liking companions immediately, then really liking them later on. Um, yeah, but I think I can justify it a little bit more here because definitely, you know, she did next to nothing in her first series, and then she's been brilliant this time round. Certainly, absolutely. The episode where Danny Pink dies and she's throwing the TARDIS keys in the volcano. That was... Holy shit. That, that was like yeah. a, an awakening, for want of a better term. Yeah, yeah. She's she is amazing. I, I, I would say, like, say what you like about the writing, about the direction, the story choices, whatever. In terms of pure acting ability, I don't think there has ever been a better core TARDIS team than Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman. Oh, really? Like, I think that in terms of just their ability as actors, I think they are the best. I'm not saying Capaldi's my favourite Doctor. I'm not saying Clara's my favourite companion. But in just, like, pure acting ability. See, I, I think I'd maybe go Smith in the Ponds. But that's probably just because I've got such a fondness yeah, for Rory. Exactly. Like you could, you could definitely make the argument that they're your favourite, and I would, I would one hundred percent understand that perspective. But I don't think Karen Gillan, though she's had a more successful like Hollywood career and stuff. Not that Jenna Coleman's had a had a bad career by <laughs> any means, uh, but I would, I would argue that Jenna Coleman is a better actor than Karen Gillan. I think she's got better range. Um. And I and I think Capaldi is a more interesting and dynamic performer than Matt Smith, and that's saying so because Matt Smith is bloody good. Yeah, definitely. You know, at the end of the day, th- they don't cast bad actors in Doctor Who, really, ever. Mm. Um, but this team in particular, for me, like they just there are there are things. There are, there are places they can go to that I don't know that other actors could. Um, but anyway, um, so thinking in terms of like the themes of this series, you've got two, I'd say you've got two main strands. You've got the one that, about the Doctor, his am I a good man bit uh-huh. that kind of is a thread that runs through the series. And then you've got the wider theme of lying. And obviously that's focused mostly on Clara and Danny, but, you know, the Doctor lies to Clara Clara lies to the Doctor. 
Clara lies to Danny. Poor Danny <laughs> just wants some straight answers from either of them. Um, how did you feel about? We'll, we'll start. We'll start. The, we'll start with the first one. Uh, the am I a good man thing? How did that land for you? Uh, that that grated on me quite quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, because yes, we get it. He's a good man because he's the hero. But at the same time, he did throw a half-faced man onto a weather vane. So yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't think anyone's intrinsically that good. Everyone does things they're not proud of. It's yeah. just how you deal with it that dictates whether you're good or bad. So, yeah. you know, and the fact that every episode it ended with the Doctor like going, am I a good man? Mm. You know, just get over it. I want him to go to Gallifrey. It's been two series now. Just hurry up. What, I, what I'd say about it is I like... I, I, I like the the desire to go in a more introspective direction. You had, you had Matt Smith, who was a very, who seemed to deflect a lot. Like you, you've obviously, you got the sense that there was more going on under the surface, but that wasn't vocalized very much with Matt Smith's doctor. Like he would rather deflect and crack jokes and play the fool. So as to distract from whatever inner turmoil he might be experiencing so i appreciated the shift into a doctor who is willing to like ask those kinds of questions of himself and stuff but i agree the way it's handled is a bit on the nose at times i I think if the doctor's concerned about whether he's good or bad what he should do is fly off to like a little moon or an asteroid become a hermit and meditate (laughs) on whether he's a good person or not Mm. Much like he does in the twin dilemma, <laughs> you know that absolute classic. Yeah. Um. So, the and moving on to the other theme, then the uh, the the sort of more general theme of 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 lying and and keeping the truth from people. How do you think that was handled? Far better. Um, mm. You know, at the beginning. I was very much like, oh, I'm sick of Danny Pink. But then, towards the end, I quite liked him as a character. I, yeah. I like the fact he got a better send-off. I think he deserved better than just flying into space and exploding. Yeah, definitely. I think if you take if you take Last Christmas out, then it then it's a a more of a, it feels more bungled. But you you get some emotional uh, closure. Yeah. With that whole storyline there, and um. Yeah, I really like it. I think it's a really interesting dynamic. It's such a contrast from from the ponds as well. And I think they had to do that. If they were determined to go the route of there not being any kind of romantic element between the companions, then bring then probably you're going to end up bringing in some other kind of romantic interest for them at some point to, you know, drama at the end of the day. Um, but uh, one thing I would say yeah. on that front is in Last Christmas... I thought it would be dwelled upon a little bit more. Like, there's just that one scene where Clara goes, Danny's dead. And then the Doctor goes, oh, I never found Gallifrey. And, Mm. I mean, in one sense, it's nice that it's, like, unspoken, that they both know they got it wrong and they're moving on. Yeah. But, I don't know, I think just to tie it up, it maybe needed a little bit more. Maybe, but, you know, we've we've potentially got another whole series with these two, so... Mm. You know, there's still places to go. 
Um, let's talk about Missy. R.I.P. Missy. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's two. There's two things to talk about. Let's start first of all, like up, up b- before we get to Dark Water, when she's just kind of sprinkled into certain episodes. Mm. Like, how did you feel about her through that? It, it was a little bit series. like when we had Madame Calvarian, yeah. where I was just like, I just want to know what's going on. Yeah, but like it starts off, it starts off like uh, the first couple, like the the first one in Deep Breath is like a proper interesting little yeah. opener to that, you know, when she's greeting the half made face man and t- referring to the Doctor as her boyfriend and stuff like that. That's really intriguing. But I think it is a kind of a case of diminishing returns. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I, I mean, I understand it from a plot point, but she's so yeah. good. Why wouldn't you use her more? Yeah. Like, and, uh, like for example, on our show notes, you've put, like, R.I.P. Missy, are you sad she's gone? She's too yeah. good. She's too good to be gone. Like, if the, if she doesn't come back, I mean, they're absolute she... fools. Cyberbrig disintegrated her, you know? Yeah, but she's the master. The master, just make a special potion. Read a book yeah. or something and bring her back. <laughs> I forgot about the potion. You know, we, we've seen him be like a ghost snake. You know. <laughs> That's true, we have. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know what more definitive evidence you need that the master's gone this time. No, um, no. Missy's too good to lose. Mm. So yeah, so so um, thinking ahead then to 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 those last couple of episodes, then the um, when we kind of get you know uh, full uh, what was it? What's the term I want? Like when we get like um, so, I'm just going to deal with this cat. She's faffing around. Just whilst David's dealing with the cat. Just want to re-emphasize our earlier offer. If you've got any you know, Warhammer, any beer, or any cash you'd like to send us, um, you know, if you've got a PlayStation Five, you can send that to us. Just put a DM in our messages, and we'll we'll, we'll get back to you. Right. Um, so yeah. So when we get Missy doing like unfettered, if you like, yeah in those last two episodes what what did you think of Michelle Gomez's performance absolutely top draw best thing about this series yeah it's her introduction favorite master um yeah probably like i've said it before that like the master is probably my favorite villain as a mm. like concept just an equal and an opposite but to have it so different to what we've seen because you know I've only seen the eighth Doctor's version of the Master John Sim and then we saw mm. the one in Damon of Damos and yeah. they they were pretty similar in that they were just like a bad guy yeah. whereas like something that's come totally out of nowhere just an absolute lunatic is, is better and I really yeah. do like it yeah no she is just utterly loopy in the best possible way um and that kind of leads me into one of the things i did wanted to chat with you about i, I sent you a little bit of homework this week i yes. didn't make you watch any doctor who but it just serendipitously this week as we're recording um 
the Radio Free Scaro put out a compilation of a couple of early Rachel Talalay interviews they'd done uh, covering this period. Yeah. Um, one one that came, went out before the episodes had even aired, and one that happened afterwards. So, um, there were there were lots of interesting things that were touched on in those interviews. One that stood out to me was when they were asking Rachel Talalay about how working with an with an actor like Michelle Gomez, how do you kind of keep her from going right to the brink of being over the top without ever actually quite going over the yeah. top, which is what, what they definitely achieve in those episodes. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like a lot of that was kind of experimentation in, in like read throughs and rehearsals and stuff. And like there were times leading up to shooting it when she definitely did go too far with certain things. And gosh, that would be fascinating. Wouldn't it? I would love to see some of that read through yeah. footage. See, see the expressions on, on, on her actors' faces, especially if she is going too far. They'll just be like, God, have we made a terrible mistake here? Yeah. yeah. I'd love to see Capaldi's dour look. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, what, what else stood out to you about those interviews? Um, did you find the main thing that surprised me is how long it takes to make an episode of Doctor Who. Yeah. You know, when she was talking about the quick turnaround in producing American TV, and then yeah. in Britain, you just seemingly have forever. Yes, and the fact that that she's involved in much more in the post production as well. Like she's she gets to sit in on all the editing, yeah. whereas before that's in America, that's handed over to someone else, and you you know after the first rough draft edit, you're you're on to the next thing. Um, yeah, the, the, one of the things that I love about Doctor Who. One of the things I think makes it really special is how collaborative it is. Mm. Nobody owns it. The the actors get a lot of say, especially, you know, whoever is your current doctor. They get a lot of say and influence in how their doctor is shaped. Um, The writers, yes, you've got a showrunner, a nominal showrunner for a period of time, and they do have a hand in pretty much every script. But they do give people a lot more freedom to kind of do their own thing and you do get different authorial voices coming through with the writing and again with the direction like if you'd given this same script to Douglas McKinnon it would have been a different episode I'm sure yeah but you know what I quite like with these episodes and the way they're directed and the way they're run is some of the dark moments are really light-hearted if you know what I mean you know like we just see like the bit, for example, where Missy eviscerates Seb. It's actually quite funny, but that's just murder. Yes. But then when she yeah. does exactly the same thing to Osgood, it's like far darker. Yeah, and they she makes it work every time. Like, and the thing that really leaps out to me with Rachel Talladay as a director, she talks a lot in these interviews about she kind of got her break working on the. Uh, not Evil Dead, what is it? Um, Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. franchise. So, uh, you know, she kind of worked her way up through that initially as like an assistant and it, it ended up even directing one of them later. But so she got to do a lot of work with like visual effects, like practical effects and things like that. Um, so she has that that effects and that visual experience but she's also so thoughtful 
in terms of working with the actors and she obviously really understands the emotional component of what she's doing as well i'm thinking about i, I recently just this is something i've been doing on and off since i got disney plus like i've been watching them in chunks but i've been revisiting the star wars prequels because i've never mm-hmm. watched them since they first came out they, they were the first thing i watched when i got yeah. disney plus yeah I think a lot of people did potentially because it's like you're not going to go out of your way necessarily. But if they're there in front of you, it's an interesting thing to revisit. But what really stands out to me that is is and this isn't a new idea. I'm not this is I'm not the first person to observe this, but like George Lucas is an amazing visual film director. Like throughout the prequels, you could pretty much capture any individual frame and stick it on your wall and it would almost be a work of art, you know. They they are really so detailed and well composed and all the rest of it, but he he there is no emotional weight to anything that happens in those films mm-hmm. ever. Um, and so to have a director like Rachel Talladay, who's who's kind of brilliant at both parts, brilliant at the visual directing, the the the, the effects, the shot composition. You know, they talked about that one shot where the Cyberman is revealed behind Clara when she kind of spins around on the chair and it's one fluid motion with the camera. Um, just incredibly thoughtful, detailed camera work and, and effect work. And yet also she never misses a beat in terms of the emotional core of the story. And she's willing to put the time and effort in with her actors to give them the space they need to give the performances they want to give. She's like, I think Doctor Who, I don't know whether they knew when they gave her these episodes quite how lucky they were to have her. But no spoiler to say, she does continue to do some other episodes going forwards. And by that point, I think they really did know that how, how important, how, how, what a special director she was. Um, what a bit of a secret weapon, really, I think. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm glad you found those interesting. How, how, did you? How did you find having to to, to sully your podcast feed with Radio Free Sky? Well, you, you tricked me, didn't you? Because <laughs> you, you said, "Oh, there's there's this interview with RFS," and I was like, "Oh, that'll be know, some weird Doctor Who club." And then when I clicked uh-huh. on it, I was like. Oh dear, oh dear. So, I don't know. I might lay off being mean to them this year. They do good work. At the at the end of the day, they 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 got in on the ground floor. That's why they. That's partly why they have the reputation they have. Also, they genuinely are very good, very passionate about Doctor Who. They're, you know, good eggs as far. Unlike as us, who'd rather talk about Marmite on toast. <laughs> I don't know. They're they're not afid of a tangent as well. Yeah. Most uh, most podcasts. Uh, um, okay, then I do. I like to do this every time. I like to go back through a series and look at what new monsters were introduced this series, and ask you: Would you like to see them make a comeback or not? Now, I wasn't sure whether to include these or not, um, but you've got the the clockwork droids, technically second appearance, but very different in deep breath, to how they were in The Girl in the Fireplace. Mm. So it's up to you whether you count them as new or not. Yeah, I think I'd like to see them return. I like them just as, like, mm. in a similar way to, like, the Pat Noster gang. Just chuck them in every so often. 
Yeah, I, I, I really like them. I do wonder where do you go from here because they did, they did the first one where they were more robot than man. Yeah, and then they reversed it for Deep Breath, and so it's like now, what, what, what's left to do with them would be my only question. But I do love them. They are one of my absolute favorites, and I think probably Moffat's most underrated villain creation. I, I think have them in the future. Uh, maybe in the future in Detroit and has have them as robot cops. <laughs> that could work, yeah. Yeah, Doctor Who versus robot Robocop. Cops. Yeah. Uh, so on the subject of robots... I, I love how you've just moved away. You're not even entertaining that idea. Just, yeah. <laughs> we've got a lot to get through, Matt. Um, on the subject of robots, we've got the robots from Robot of Sherwood. Do they get a name? Do, do we know what planet they're from? I, I say bring them back. Just because I like it every so often in Married to Who where they talk about shooting a big gold arrow at a spaceship. Yeah. So so you'd like it if the episode resolves in the exact same way. That's how I want Doctor Who to defeat every villain from now on. (laughs) Shoot a gold arrow in a a fast-moving spaceship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important when we're discussing that episode in particular that we acknowledge that the Doctor is in many ways like Robin Hood. I do think it, we should mention that, yes, because yeah. we've not. We've, I, I've, I've been meaning to mention it all series, to be honest, Matt, and yeah. it just slips my mind every Maybe time. Maybe mention that um, for the final time ever. <laughs> oh, let's hope so, eh? Um, so my next one on the list is whatever was or wasn't in Listen. No, leave that alone. Yeah, it, perfect as it is. Isn't yeah, it? don't. I don't want diminishing returns like the Weeping Angels. Just leave it. Yeah. I fully agree with you there. Uh, the Teller from uh, Time Heist. Can't even remember what that is. Oh, it's that big bull monster. Dick Eyes. It is, yeah. Yeah, Dick Eyes. Uh, nah, leave him alone. He walked yeah. off with his little Dick Eyes wife, didn't he? Happily ever after. Yeah. yeah. No, leave. The Scovox Blitzer. Uh, yeah, bring it back. I want to know how the Doctor learned about it. But at the same time, it, it's fairly dated as a robot, want- isn't it? I want it to actually face off against uh, Matilda and Sir Killalot. Yeah. <laughs> just have it, just have it invade. That would be fun if it just like beamed down in the middle of an episode of Robot yeah. Wars being recorded, and everyone I was just like, "Oh, we've got a new robot!" And then seconds later, carnage. Or even, what if it? Ju- Craig Charles just just incinerated. What if somebody on awesome. Scrap Heap Challenge just found it? <laughs> That'd be amazing. You know, and the entire episode is like shot like an episode of Scrap Heap. Yeah, Players. it's got Robert Llewellyn saying, you know, oh, yeah. you need to find, you need to build a car that can go upstairs. It's, it's like a Doctor Light story. The Doctor's just there in the background of shots every now and then. Yeah, running just like trying to... rooting through a scrap heap. Oh, I And at the end, you've got so bad, Dick though. Strawbridge riding on a Scoba Fox Blitzer. <laughs> Amazing. That that um, is a niche reference. If people don't watch, <laughs> it really. I, is. I put Scrapping Challenge on a pedestal with Robot Wars. We haven't talked about it anywhere oh. near as much, but it, it's we haven't, but we should. Yeah, it's and the thing about Scrapping Challenge, right, is I'm someone who has no interest in cars and engines and stuff like that. I'm not. I'm not a handy kind of person. I don't like Top Gear. 
don't give a shit about cars. I can barely recognise cars. Do you remember back in the day before lockdown when you used to like pick me up and I'd uh, just watch you walk around Tesco's work. car park for twenty minutes whilst I was sat yeah. in my car. <laughs> yeah, I, I just all cars look alike to me, but I fucking love Scrap Heat Challenge. Yeah, it's just joy. It's and I'll tell you what it is. It's because we are we are hobbyists, right? We are we are the kind of guys who who kind of hobbies are what make life enriching for us. Yeah, definitely. And I get a lot of pleasure, even if it's not a hobby I'm interested in, seeing people indulging in their hobby, something that is ultimately utterly pointless, but brings them enormous joy. You know, that's that's what I'm here for. So, yeah, I adore Scrap Heap Challenge. Uh, Okay, next on the list, the Moon Moth. Yes, but I just want it in the background of episodes. <laughs> like, just I, I recently watched all of Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. And there's an episode where Dewey sets his hamster free. So sometimes, oh. just in the background of random episodes, you'd see a hamster ball roll past in the background. <laughs> That's what I want. I just want the moon moth in the background. I kind of wonder if it'd be interesting if you, uh, you had an episode where it came back and did attack the earth and they were wrong all along. <laughs> yeah <laughs> just completely undermined that story or if it was just like yeah the moon hatched a moth but that was just yeah. it's like larval stage it's actually yeah. like a tarasque mm. so for mummy on the orange express i could have said the mummy which was kind of the monster of the episode but the real villain was gus yeah we still yeah, don't yeah. know who that is we don't we don't know who or what is behind Gus. Yeah. So I feel like that's, that to me out of everything, that's the one that I think has the most potential. Yeah. Bring him back. Uh, then the other Jamie Matheson creation, the boneless. Yeah. I feel they've got like more potential. Yeah. I think you could definitely do something different. Like I, I think I said in the episode as well, like maybe something on a bigger scale. Yeah. But Cause I, it was quite contained. I, I think line. they're we- pretty like well established in terms of their rules that you could yeah. probably get away with doing an incredibly similar episode and it would still probably be quite good. Yeah, I, I would like to see them do what they did with, um, if you think about the transition from Blink into Time of Angels and Fresh and Stone, which is the I, the comparison we had at the time was like Alien versus Aliens. Yeah. You know, I would if you're going to do the bonus again, make it a two-parter, make it like a global invasion, like something epic as a contrast to the very contained little runaround that we get in uh, in Flatline. Um, and the last one on the list, the Brain Crabs from last Christmas. I want them to come back in Clara's finale and it turns out Clara dreamt the whole thing. <laughs> oh God, can you imagine if they did that? Like, I, in all seriousness, I don't want them to come back because I can't do any more Oh, it's a dream. Yeah, like, like, I think you get one go at doing that sort of Inception-style nonsense, don't you? Yeah, and it was pretty good. You can't do that more than once. Yeah, it's done well. It's done well, but yeah, I don't don't see the potential in doing more with them. Like, you'd have to find something very different to do with them, and they've got such a limited set of powers that I don't know that you could, necessarily. Um, So, last question for you, Matt. Mm -hmm. What's on your wish list for Series 9? What do you want... What do you want to be different about it? I, I want them to find Gallifrey. 
Right. It's been going on for too long. Just. I mean, only since the 50th anniversary. So one series. Yeah, but, you know, just just find it. Yeah. Any anything else? Like obviously we've got the same for for the first time in a while. You know, same doctor, same companion. Um. What 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 do we need to do to keep it fresh? I don't know because I don't want there to be just another romance for Clara. Like hmm. I don't think she can just move on that quickly. Um. No. I don't. I don't really know. Just the doctor to be a bit more cheery, a bit happier. So, do you, do, you, do you have high hopes for Series 9? Do you think it, you're going to enjoy it? or It can't be any worse, can it? <laughs> All right, then. Um, so, that kind of wraps it up in terms of the, the main things I wanted to pick your brain on for, for, for uh, Series 8. Um, did we get any feedback from the listeners? Uh, yeah, we've got a few series. messages. Do you want me to read them yeah. out? Yeah, go for it. So... Like I say, yesterday I put a message out saying we're recording Season 8 wrap-up. If you have any thoughts, questions or usual nonsense, let us know. Uh, so, we had a message from James, James Courtney, at Mr. J.A. Courtney, who says, It's a refreshing change of pace after the long story arc of the Smith era and much more character-driven in the end. Danny is a more sympathetic version of Martha's mum. So, so, like an antagonist to the Doctor, but more reasonably. I've never made made that comparison before. That's that's really uh, interesting and, and definitely on the money. I'd say, yeah. And finally, he says, "Glad Moffat took credit for rewriting episodes at last." Yeah, that's true. Actually, he, if you think back early in the in the series, like the first five or six episodes, they've all got like co writing credits. Because um, um, he was doing that kind of rewriting stuff all through his. And uh, same as RTD as well. Uh, Russell G. Davis, is, I, th- I think, it was specifically, you know, Family of Blood and, uh, oh, what's the other part of that? Um, you know the one I'm talking about, Human Nature. Yeah. Um, RTD has said in interviews, he he is occasionally gets a little disappointed that everyone gives all the credit for that to Paul Cornell, because obviously it was adapted from Paul Cornell's novel by Paul Cornell. However, RTD apparently did a lot of rewrite work on that one. Oh, really? So the final episode is has a lot of his hand in it, but everyone just heaps the praise on Paul <laughs> Cornell for it. But, right. Yeah, so it's not like RTD doesn't get his due, to be fair. <laughs> right, next message from Kimberly. So that is at Kims, who says, I'd be interested to know your Capaldi thoughts. I obviously have more foreknowledge and have seen it all but he's still not a favourite of mine, despite everyone saying how wonderful and underappreciated he is. Mm. I agree. Smith's still number one for me. Sure. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's, I mean, it's for a lot of people, to be fair. I think I think those that, that are very vociferous in the defence of Capaldi, I think it is coming in part from a place where there was it was a period when a lot of people would, were kind of like, casually bad-mouthing the show and because it it became it kind of fell from favor a bit in popular culture mm. so i think the people who love that era are very passionate in defending it uh, i think that's why i won't yet be drawn on where capaldi ranks in terms of my my favorite doctors 
but um you know I, I i understand i understand both sides really why why people might look at it and be like i don't know this is this doesn't work for me in the same way that tenant and smith did because it is very different as you know in vibe but um yeah right final message from frank uh who is at Bird Moth, who says, I both dread and look forward to what's to come. What moments have defined this Doctor so far for you? I'd say pushing a man out of a hot air balloon. Yeah, you do go back to that a lot, don't you? And I, I'd say the finale, that confrontation with Clara. Yeah. That's... Yeah, that, that, that would be the first one I go to of what we've seen so far. Uh, he then says, what would you have for your last meal? But I feel we've covered that in depth today. And I would say so. Finally, does David remember how he felt about Capaldi by this point when he was first watching it? Uh, yeah, I think I kind of touched on it earlier, but yeah, so Capaldi as an actor, I was 100% on board with, right, from the get-go, because I was already a big fan of The Thick of It, which is the main thing I'd seen in him prior, and I was just like, oh, this is going to be different, this is going to be interesting, and I am here for it, because I... One of the things that I personally love about Doctor Who and get a lot out of is looking at and thinking about how different actors approach the role of the Doctor. I love I love having lots of different Doctors to compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one of the things that, that excites me about the War Doctor and why I was particularly keen to at some point to listen to the, to the Big Finish War Doctor stories because I wanted more of a sense of who is John Hurt's doctor as you know in contrast to the to others and things like that so so i was well up for the change i did struggle at times on first viewing with some of these episodes and i i will probably go into my rankings in a minute um about where, where certain episodes stood um that has shuffled around a lot with with time um i would say by about flatline on on first viewing, I was pretty much fully on board. Um, I was str- I struggled with the Danny arc on first viewing. I think I wasn't quite sure what to make of him, and it was only really when we got to last Christmas and and and, I, and we had that lovely coda with him, and I was just like, oh okay, yeah, no, I I, I get it now. I get I get what I get what this journey was, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Um, so we, we've mentioned before, Matt, yep. that recently you have completely lost your mind. Yeah, I, I don't cope well in lockdown. <laughs> and one of the ways in which that's manifested this time around is that you've been going back and checking our rankings for every episode. Yeah, I've got a full spreadsheet of every episode we've ever recorded and how we ranked every episode. That's, I mean, I've d- d- not peeked at it, but I, because I know we're, we're going to be doing something with that in a minute. But uh, when we're all said and done, I would love to have a look at it because, I, I mean, I'll be honest, it's the sort of thing that I'm surprised I haven't done. Yeah, I, I must admit, <laughs> I, I've pulled your massive spreadsheet of episodes and yeah. just added a column that says rating to it. Yeah. So what I thought we could do is sort of twofold. Okay. okay. 
And I don't know, if this doesn't work, we can always edit it out and just release it as a little bonus episode. It's either going to be good or bad, is it? Is yeah. I thought if we maybe did the RTD era to start with, mm-hmm. okay? And I don't know, that might be a big ask. But what I thought we could do is a little quiz where we go through episode by episode and see if you can recall what ranking we have given episodes. If you want to do every single one, should we just do series one for now? Uh, well, should we do one and two? Because for series yeah. one, we only brought the ranking in sort of halfway through. All right, okay then. Yeah, we'll do series one and two, and then maybe we'll dip back in and do series three and four another time. Okay. Kind of do it that way. Right, so the good news is, the first four episodes, we hadn't introduced the ranking system yet. Right. So I'm going to give you a free pass where you can select the ranking. Okay. Okay. So we start with. So are we, we going to retrospectively do these now so we can have them on the record? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that way yeah. we'll be able to put some statistics and all sorts out. Yeah. Great. Okay, so currently the four episodes that are unrated are Rose, End of the World, Unquiet Dead, and Aliens of London, World War Three. Okay. So you're rating for Rose, David. Good episodes, some bad bits. Okay, good with bad. Or GWB is the code I've been GWB, used. that's the... <laughs> okay. End of the world. Uh, same. Good with bad. GWB. Mm. Okay. Unquiet dead. Here we go. Good episode. All right. Good. What, what, what do you expect from me? And the last one we need to rate today is Aliens of London World War Three. This is the tricky one. If you'd asked me a year ago or two, maybe before we started doing this podcast, I, may, I probably would have just defaulted to bad with good bits. Okay. I think I'm reversing it. I think it's good with bad bits. Another GWB. Yeah. I've, I've, every time I watch that story, I warm to it slightly more. I mean, it's got flaws. It's got big flaws, but... I don't know. There's something about it. There's, there's, there's a there's a naive charm to it. Right. This goes into then. Can you guess the ratings? Uh, no, no, no. First of all, Matt, I need to hear your ratings for these ones as well. Uh, Rose, I'd probably say good with bad. Unquiet dead, I'd probably say bad. Uh, sorry, end, end of world. end of the world, I'd probably say bad with good. Mm-hmm. And Aliens of London, I'd probably say bad with good. Yep, yeah, fair, fair. Okay, can you remember how we ranked Dalek? Got to be a good episode, right? Uh, at the time, we ranked it as meh. I mean, we say we, I didn't. Um, I'm just going off what what was recorded. I th- maybe you didn't. I have, n- I have never considered this a meh. Episode. Do you want me to change that rating? I would, I very much would. I mean, I'm assuming you've got, have you gone, because obviously we don't always agree on terms yeah, of Yeah, where we've disagreed, that'll come in you've, when you've we get to series it. two. Yeah. Mainly. I think you must have either glossed over it or I just didn't vocalise it, but I, I love that episode. Okay. Uh, so, we then have The Long Game. I reckon you, you rated this... I think he went against the grain. I think he probably said this is a good episode, some bad bits. Ah, sorry, it was bad with good. Uh, bad with good, right. Uh, Father's Day. 
good with bad? Uh, we rank this as, I like this episode, but I don't know why. <laughs> uh, the Empty Child, The Doctor Dances. Good episode, come on. At the time, we ranked it good with bad, but I'm going to overrule that. Yeah. That can be a good episode. You keep saying, you, you keep using this, like, maybe it's the royal way, but I, I don't think I agreed with you that much in your rankings in series one. See, where, where we've disagreed, I've made a note of it. So, for all example, right, all right, all right. for example, Boomtown. Boomtown, right. I still can't make up my mind. I, I'm bad with good. At the time, you ranked like... it bad, and I ranked it yeah. no emotional attachment. Yeah. It's got a couple of elements I like, but generally I'm not... A, I, it has its defenders. I'm not one of them. Uh, and the final one from series one, Bad Wolf, Parting of the Ways. I'm going to say good with bad. Uh, at the time, we ranked it good. Yeah. All right, then. Right, season two. This is where things get a little bit spicy. Okay. Okay. Christmas Invasion. Bad with good. Uh, we ranked it good with bad. Mm. All right, then. I'm not doing well at this at all. New Earth. I'm, I'll be honest. I'm mostly just giving you my gut instinct now. Yeah. Which may vary a great deal. New Earth. New Earth. Uh, Bad. You rated it bad, I rated it as fucking bullshit. <laughs> Glad we're on the same page on that one. Tooth and Claw. We would have definitely disagreed on this one. I think you probably rated it just bad. Uh, and I, I'm going to say, I probably said, like, good with bad bits. Uh, you rated it meh to good, and I rated it yeah. meh to bad. Yeah, so kind of in the right ballpark there. School reunion. This is one of those ones where the fan blinkers goes on, so um, probably just good episode from me and probably bad from you. You rated it good. I just said it was really boring. Mm. Uh, Girl in the fireplace. Probably both agreed it's a good episode. Uh, you said good, and I said I was charmed by this episode. Rise of the yeah. Cybermen. Age of Steel. For me, it's probably bad with good. For you, maybe just no emotional attachment, maybe. Uh, I rated this bad with good. You rated it good mm. with bad. Yeah, okay. I was feeling generous to it that, that uh, time around. The Idiot's Lantern. Oh, it's a tricky one, this one. Uh, bad... Badish, bad with good. Uh, we both rated it no emotional attachment. Mm. All right, yeah. The Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit. Good episode. You rated it good episode. I rated it as the first episode I've really loved. Yeah. It's it stands up that one, Matt. It does stand up. Now here's a surprising one. Love okay. and monsters. I do remember warming to it more this time around than when I watched it previously. So I'm going to say bad with good bits, whereas previous help would probably would have said straight up bad. You said bad episode, mostly good bits. And I said I had a lot of fun with this episode, but I was drunk at the time. Right. 
I guess my thinking with that is like a lot of the individual elements are good, but you put it all together and it doesn't work. Uh, what about yeah. Fear Her? Bad episode. Uh, we both agreed it was bad. I called it unforgivingly yeah. boring. And you said, this is the worst Doctor Who I've ever seen. Yeah. Do you still stand by that? I think I probably do, Matt. I think I probably do, yeah. And the Series 2 finale, Army of Ghosts and Doomsday. I think probably bad with good for me. Uh, We both agreed it was a good episode at the time. All right, yeah. Again, probably feeling generous. Yeah. I must admit, as we get into later series, we do elaborate a lot more than just simply good and bad. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's, for example, ratings such as, this isn't perfect, but it makes me cry, a bitter disappointment. Uh, I like this, but it hasn't aged well. This is 70% good, 30% unbearably awful. So there's a lot, a lot still to come. I think. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to doing more of these later. Um, yeah. This is Doctor Who in a nutshell, though, isn't it? It's a fucking roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> you like you have to be prepared to love something in spite of its flaws with Doctor Who. It's not because it's just such a bumpy ride the whole way. You can have you can be having a brilliant time one episode and the next it's just you just got your head in your hands wondering how did they think this was a good idea? Yeah, that's how I feel a lot of the time. Yeah. Um. Alrighty then. So, last little thing. It's almost just like a ritual at this point. We have to do before we finish these um series wrap up episodes. Just quickly r- rattle through my rankings. So I'll do my episode rankings and then we can talk about how we feel about this series in relation to the others. Um, so, right, we've got 12 stories to go through here. So right at the bottom, number 12, In the Forest of the Night. Yeah, but I, I think a lot of people are overly critical. I don't think it was terrible. Oh, I, I, I don't enjoy watching that story. It's just a lot of trees. There's too, too many elements that rub me up the wrong way. Um... Number 11, Kill the Moon. Now, already, this is why I'm saying with, with Series 8, I have good things to say about almost every episode. Kill the Moon, fundamentally, I don't think it all adds up. But those final 10 minutes yeah. or so, it's just, whoa. Plus, like, there is some amazing stuff in it. That that week where I thought the moon was an egg, uh, that, that really helped me end 2020 on a high. <laughs> um... So, episode 10, The Caretaker. Yeah. Bit... A lot of people really dislike this one. I think it's unfairly criticised, but I can see why it's not for everyone. Yeah, bit of a nothing. Uh, episode 9, Robot of Sherwood. Shut up. It's it's enjoyable. Should be my bottom. It's not... It's it's. I'm not saying it's amazing, but it's enjoyable the whole way through. Um Number eight for me, Deep Breath. Possibly the lowest I've ever ranked uh, a series opener. I don't know. No, because New Earth. Yeah. New Earth is dreadful. But uh, <laughs> um, it's Deep Breath for me is such a curate's egg that it has, it's 80% stuff that I really like, but it's so flabby. 
Oh, which makes it a hard watch. It's not one I enjoy re-watching because I'm like, I'm going to have to sit through the the weighty bits in order to get to the good stuff. That It's like listening to Tales from Topographic Oceans by Yes. Like There's some big highs uh, in there, but you have to kind go. of... Here we go. Go on. <laughs> well, all I'll say is... Um, Rick Wakeman, the keyboardist at the time for, for Yes, once said of that album, it's like wading through a cesspool to get to a lily pad. It's it's like, yeah, it's just a lot to get through to get to the good stuff sometimes with, with Deep Breath, I feel like. Um, Into the Dalek. Um, again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not perfect, but it's so different. That's what I love about Into the Dalek. It's it, it's like it's really feels fresh and unsettling, and like it really wrong wrong foots you. I feel like at times, Time Heist, another just enjoyable, good good time episode for me. That's what it's one that I could just throw on as a bit of comfort viewing. Yeah, it was okay. Uh, Last Christmas at number five. But again, I it. It amazed me that I, I that I hadn't been ranking it as my favourite Christmas special because on, on the most recent watch, I was like, "This is." I basically have no criticisms of this. This is great. Um, so number four, listen again. This is one that I I was a bit colder on than a lot of the fandom, but I'm coming around to it. It's uh, I, I really again, enjoyed it. Yeah, again, it's such a strange episode. It's not typical Doctor Who. At all, yeah. but that's in its favour. Um, number three, Mummy on the Orient Express. Just a great fun start to finish. Uh, number two for me, Flatline. So again, like back to back with the Matheson episodes, he he really knocked it out of the park for this series. For a new, for a new incoming writer, he really made a, a you know got a reputation for himself very quickly with those two stories. I feel like. Um, and then coming in at number one, Dark Water, Death in Heaven. Yeah, I think if I don't agree with your other rankings, that would still be my number one. Yeah, I mean, it's not perfect again. I don't think, that's the thing, I don't think any episode in Series 8 is like perfect. There's nothing like on the level of something like Blink where you couldn't tweak it here or there. Um, but it's, Series 8 is more than the sum of its parts. And the same goes for this story, I, I feel like. And I would still say, of the series finales we've seen so far, this is my favourite. Even, like, the, the next one will probably be series five. The the Pandorica opens Big Bang. Yeah, I do really, really one. like that finale. But this just inches above it, I think, for me. So there you go. So, like I say, series eight as a whole... Towards the top for me. Lower but, half for me, easily. Yeah. I would still say Series 5 is my number one series. Mm. This one probably nestles around about two, three, four. I haven't done a full breakdown. I can't be asked to be honest, <laughs> listeners. Sorry, we've been recording a long time and I want to go and see my son. So uh, There's, there's one more thing we need to do. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, obviously, next week we're doing a second Doctor Adventure. We are, yes. And that was yeah. put out to listeners to vote. Oh, this was a nail-biter. Between the Mind Robber and the War Games. 
Yeah, uh, absolute nail biter. Yeah, so up until last night, War Games was leading. Yeah, and I'll be honest, if 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 it had won, I would have bowed to to pressure and said, "All right, let's do all the regeneration stories." Mm. However, however, our listeners are a bunch of doyles and have ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> and the mind robber has won with 54%. Yeah, well, I'm relieved. It's all right, because ne- be next time round we'll do war games. It definitely is. It's on the agenda. I'd love to do war games with you one day. I, I, I'm i glad we're not having to do it this time around. I would like you to maybe... I'm hoping this is going to be the one that makes you warm to the second Doctor a little bit more. It is one of... I'll be honest, Matt. Whilst I'm relieved that we're not doing war games just because of the sheer magnitude of that story, I'm a little bit worried because Mind Robber is one of my absolute favourite classic Who stories. Right, well, it better be good. Oh, I don't know. I kind of wish I hadn't said that out loud now because now that that sets up expectations, doesn't it? But I... I I unfailingly have a good time with this story and I'm I'm really hopeful that you will as well. So we'll wait to see what you think of it. Yeah. Um shall we shoot a big golden arrow in this episode and wrap things up? I th- I think it is high time we did that. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. As always, I hope you've enjoyed our journey through series eight. I think we certainly have, haven't we, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh join us next week when we will be watching the mind robber but until then thank you very much for listening and cheerio bye now thank you for listening to neither the time nor the space if you wish to contact us our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on twitter we are at timenorspacepod and thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme 